0: church podcast lake forest is a community for people who've given up on church but not on god if you'd like to learn more about our locations in huntersville davidson and denver north carolina you can check us out online at lakeforest.org thanks thank you for bearing with all of the construction stuff going on here i think the smell is pretty much out at the first service everybody seemed almost comatose during the sermon I don't know if it was my sermon or there were still a lot of fumes from the floors that were resurfaced. We'll find out this service, but good to see you all. Let's talk about how we're living our lives in 2018 here in the 21st century, and let's bring that to this encounter with Jesus today. There's an interesting book written about our culture a few years ago called Amusing Ourselves to Death, written by Neil Postman. And there's a part in this book where he compares Uh, two different authors from the early 20th century who were making predictions about what our western culture would be like today and what's interesting is these two men predicting had two very different views Uh, it, it was Aldous Huxley's book Brave New World and George Orwell in the book 1984 I bet a bunch of you have read one or both of those from school and they both had two different views of what life would be like today watch this In Orwell's future, he feared that books would be banned. In Huxley's future, he feared there'd be no reason to ban a book for nobody would want to read one. In Orwell's future, he feared a a truth would be concealed from us. In Huxley's future, he feared we won't even be able to tell what the truth is because there'll be so much information. He feared the truth would be drowned in a sea of irrelevant information and we wouldn't even know what is true. Hmm. Orwell feared we would become captive to culture. Huxley feared we would become a trivial culture. So busy chasing down things that ultimately don't matter that we would never do meaningful things. And so 100 years later, I think that Huxley would not be surprised at all by the amount of time I spend on my smartphone. (laughs) Huxley would not be surprised at the amount, the average amount of time you or I spend in front of a screen. Or the time we spend chasing and hunting down useless information or trivial amusements that just churn and churn and churn our time. Even uh, while we know we're sometimes missing the bigger points of life, but we really are, according to Postman, amusing ourselves to death, maybe a soul death. uh, Huxley did say that in the future, in our vigilance uh, against tyranny, Western culture will have, quote failed to take into account man's almost infinite appetite for distraction by smartphones. <laughs> do you think he has a point about this? Do you think he got this this point right about who our culture would become? I do. Uh, And and this message is very much for me And and hopefully as you just listen in uh, It will be helpful to you as well And we want to jump into God's word now but, But I want you to bring with you An answer to this question To Jesus today What is your appetite for distraction? What, what is it that you spend time doing thoughtlessly, sort of mindlessly, reflexively, or maybe on purpose, or worrying about or pouring many of the best moments of your day into that ultimately has zero payback? Like it doesn't matter that much. A different way of asking the question is, are, are, are there things you could be getting done but for these distractions? What is distraction costing you? This has been a, 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 a helpful question for me this week to bring to this text. Because I think distraction is costing most of us way more than it's worth. And God calls us to a higher, different life. If you have your Bible, you can turn it to Luke chapter 10, or there's the Bible in in many of the seats, or on a Bible app, and and we'll have it on screen. Although Carol just read it for us. Let me set the scene. At this point in the life of Jesus, we're at the last few months and weeks of his life and ministry. He's spending time, he's now left Galilee and he's getting closer to Jerusalem for the final time, for Holy Week. And he knows as he gets close to Jerusalem, the conflict awaits him. Traps by the religious leaders are awaiting him and the cross is waiting for him. And it's just uh, weeks away at this point. In a few verses before today's passage, Luke writes this in, in nine, chapter nine, verse 51. When the days drew near for Jesus to be taken up, Jesus knew he would be murdered by a death on a cross and that he would rise again again from the dead three days later. He set his face to go to Jerusalem. So this is the context. Time is of the essence. Jesus knows he only has so much time. Verse 38 of chapter 10. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. The the disciples and Jesus were coming from Jericho. There was was about a 20-mile journey up hill through the mountains to jerusalem which sits on a mountain top and they come to this village that's a suburb of jerusalem it's the village of bethany it's two miles outside of jerusalem and based on how many times it's recorded in the gospels that jesus came to bethany apparently this is where he felt the most safe most of the time when he would stay in or around jerusalem it was here he felt safe from the traps set for him in jerusalem and he was mostly at home, and we have recorded that he felt most safe with this certain family of three, two sisters and a brother, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Yes, Lazarus is the one whom, in just a little bit after this story, Jesus will raise from the dead. Now today, Bethany, you can go there today. It's in the Arab West Bank, and it's known by its Arabic name, Al-Lazaria, which means the place of Lazarus. Even though I said that with a Spanish accent, um, that is the Arabic name. This family of three seem to be the closest friends with Jesus, safe people with whom Jesus can recharge. We, we encounter them multiple times, so they seem to be his closest friends who aren't traveling with him all the time. One writer speculates why they felt safe to him, that perhaps it felt wonderfully familiar to Jesus to be around this trinity of love between three family members. Perhaps We don't know. But this was a safe place for him. Now we read it. You can read the story as we're going through it. Luke 10, verses 38 to 42. But, but the, 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 the conflict comes in that moment when, when Martha and Mary... And we're told it's Martha's house, so she's probably the older sister. And I think from, from the way this plays out, we would agree with that as well. Mary's sitting at the feet of Jesus, soaking up his teaching. And Martha comes out and, and goes off. And is like, Jesus! don't you care that I'm doing all the serving and Mary isn't even lifting a finger to help? Tell her to come help me and get off her keister. Keister is the Hebrew uh, <laughs> translation of, uh, of tell her to help me. Um, now, here's what you feel. Here's what you immediately feel. When Carol read it, it's a familiar passage. You feel the family dynamics, can't you? Like, these are sisters, like... You get it. And depending on your personal analogy type or your birth order, you've already taken sides between Mary and Martha. You have. You've picked one of these sisters. Uh, Jesus loves them both, but he only corrects Martha. Interesting. And, and the reason I tell you that is because I want to kind of telegraph my past that the, that the rest of this sermon, we are not just going to pick on Martha. Because I've heard that sermon, y- you might have too. Right, it's 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 like Martha was a busybody, Mary was the best, or or, or Martha was a nagger, Mary was a worshipper. Right? That 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 would be the typical sermon, and I think I've preached that one once or twice actually. But the point of the of this story is not that it's wrong to work and serve and sweat the details and be inconvenienced as you serve others. The point of the story is not hey Amen, chill out. If it's meant to be, it'll just happen. That's not the point that Jesus is making here. Martha's work ethic, in fact, is admirable. If it weren't for the Marthas of this world, a lot of things wouldn't get done. Can I get an amen from the Marthas in the room? Because you're generally the quiet ones, you know, and I know in your head you were like, yeah, preach it, Pastor, can you talk some more about that? There are so many great things about Martha. In fact, I'm I'm married to someone I consider a Martha in many ways. And like when something needs to be done, she just goes and gets it done. She's on it, done, doesn't pre-talk it, just does it. Love that about her. She's also a Mary too. She's pretty cool. But now many of you live or work with a Martha. And what you know about Martha's, if that's you, is that generally nobody even has to tell a Martha stuff that needs to get done. Like they see it And they do it. Unfortunately, that means some of us spouses who live with a a Martha, we've developed the habit of waiting until your Martha is like three-quarters of the way through a task. You know, and and then the husband, it's usually the husband, will go like, oh, baby, I was going to do that like at the commercial at halftime. Thanks for putting all that siding on the house, honey. That's awesome, you know. (laughs) Don't mistreat your Martha that way, please, please. And thank goodness for Marthas. Uh, I don't want any of us thinking this encounter with Jesus gives any of us permission to hide our own passive laziness behind something that we think Jesus is pleased with. So let's get one more amen for all the Marthas. Amen. So it's really not, not about what she was doing, which was awesome what she was doing. It was about uh, some, some state inside of her that's revealed by this comment. Now that that's out of our system, let's also acknowledge it wasn't a great day for Martha, however. We don't know the details, why she got into this tizzy. But perhaps Jesus forgot to text her and say, hey, we're, 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 we're like a mile away. We'll be there in about a half an hour, Martha. And they just showed up unannounced. Jesus and the disciples, at least 12 probably. And it had been a long walk, so she's got these hot, tired, hungry, thirsty, stinky feet, 12 disciples and she, so she sends one person to get more bread. She sends another person to get firewood to light the fire for the lamb stew. And then she sends another person to get water because we got to wash all these stinky feet. Man, there's a lot of stuff I got to do. And so Martha, Martha gets busy with it. says she was distracted with much serving is, is the literal here, Diaconeo. That's all the preparations. And remember though, for Jesus, time is of the essence He's on his way to Jerusalem. He knows there's a cross in his near future. And so Jesus did want a meal, I'm sure, but I think even more, he wanted a meal with conversation with his friends. But instead, Martha goes into Martha Stewart mode and her sister sits down and just starts soaking it up from Jesus. And Martha's serving, and I told you the Greek word is diakoneo. It's often used in the book of Acts to mean ministry, specifically ministry. Ministry. And if we asked Martha, she would genuinely say, and she would be right, hey, this is my ministry. It's how God wired me. It's how he wired me to serve others. I'm ministering to these people. And those of you who are in ministry or have been paid or unpaid, there are times when we all know we can be so consumed by ministry that we get off course in some other ways. And part of what's happening is Mary's just sitting there, and she's soaking up every story. Really, Jesus? And then what happened? And then you healed them. That's amazing. Hey, would you tell that parable, my favorite one, you know, the one about? And and, and people are laughing, and there's interaction, and they're all there. and, and, And it's beautiful. And then, meanwhile, Martha in the kitchen, stirring the lamb stew. And every time they get louder over there and they're having fun, she's like, I sure would be nice if I had time to be out there with Jesus. And then they all laugh, ha, ha, ha. And she goes, he, he, he is that so funny, Mary? You're not funny at all. You just think you are. Jesus is just laughing because he's the son of God. And she slowly gets as hot as the stew that's now starting to boil. And who does she go for? Her sister? No, she goes after Jesus. Lord, don't you care? Now, here's a a little tip. It's a dead giveaway that you have gotten off course in your life if you're taking a swing at Jesus, okay? (laughs) You're coming in hot at the Lord God Jesus Christ. You've lost all perspective. (laughs) And that's what I mean. It's her perspective that she's lost. It's not what she's doing. And notice her rant starts with these words. Don't you care to Jesus? Let's get theological for a moment. Jesus is the most patient, loving, selfless man who ever walked the earth. And she says, she gets to a state, a loss of perspective where she says, don't you care? This is the eternal son of God. He knows the worship of angels. He is full of the glory and the might of God in heaven. And yet he set all that aside to step into this broken, dirty, painful world and submit to our suffering and sin. Don't you care? He's a short time away from a death like no other death in history. The abandonment, the hurt, the sorrow, every sin that's ever been committed, none by him, his own self, will be piled on his shoulders on the cross in that moment when he is about to atone for the sins of the world by dying willingly on the cross and then conquer death and sin through his resurrection three days later after wrestling death and evil dead. Don't you care? Have you ever been at that moment where due to things and maybe the state of your own soul, you were at a point of complete loss of perspective. Lord, don't you care? Well, that's Martha in this moment. Now, do you think anybody else was uncomfortable in this moment when Martha storms out of the kitchen with her pointy finger at Jesus? <laughs> Have you ever been, like, where somebody else's family issues pops up out of nowhere? You're like, oh, wrong day to come for dinner at this house, right? <laughs> and you you start studying your your... your napkin you know because you know that this is the continuation of an argument that started long before you pushed that doorbell uh i think we've all experienced this and i think the disciples are very uncomfortable and they're like i mean we we understand that when we get to jerusalem there's going to be conflict with the religious leaders but here this is this is our safe house it's supposed to be safe for jesus and for us so what's jesus reaction martha 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 no Shameless 70's Pop culture reference But the Lord answered her Martha, Martha Notice a couple of things He does not embarrass her the way she was trying to embarrass her sister He doesn't hit back And pull rank and say you know who you're talking to He says Martha, Martha One Bible scholar says The double naming here means Something profound He points out that we see it at important times Throughout the Bible We see this double naming at the burning bush when Yahweh is revealing himself and he says, Moses, Moses. We see a heartbroken King David saying, Absalom, Absalom. He's talking about his son. Jesus on the cross a few weeks after this encounter will say, my God, my God. This double name thing turns out to be a Hebrew expression of intimacy. At Martha's worst, At your worst Jesus says hey Mike, Mike Martha, Martha Somebody after the first service Asked me if I'd use the name Steve Steve, Steve (laughs) I'm your friend Now don't you think there were things That Jesus really wanted to tell Martha to here at the end Not just Mary, these are his friends He didn't just want it to be for Mary He wanted to share these precious moments with Martha as well. And I think Jesus was saying something to Martha very much like what I've been hearing from him in my own life, particularly my life of distraction. Distractions have been sucking more time from me and I believe more vitality from investing in more healthy things. Like, Mike, Mike, it's not your work that's that's the problem, it's your worry. Mike, Mike, it's not the, the pressure you're under. I know all about pressure. Here's how to handle it with me. Mike, Mike, it's not just the preparation and the ministry you're doing. Sometimes you let those be a distraction from what matters most. Mike, Mike, put down the phone and the news apps and actually do something constructive. Now I want you to notice this again, back to my first thing about we're not just gonna bash Martha. In particular, what she was doing was really important. It was hospitality. She is like the pinnacle of the highest cultural ethical value in that day, which was hospitality, radical hospitality. And that's beautiful about her. And and we would do well to emulate her with radical hospitality ourselves. But, But whether it's hospitality or anything else, what you do is really important. And that was important for Martha. But how you do what you do is as important as what you do. Let me say that again. How you do whatever God has called you to do in life. Work, hobbies, people in your life. What you do is just as important. How you do that is just as important as what you do. There are business leaders, education leaders, ministers who get stuff done. Like, man, they are good at doing the what. What? that God has called them to in ministry, in industry, in education. But you know some of those leaders who've left a wake behind of hurt, like nobody's business, like bodies piled up. But they think, hey, because I'm doing the right thing that God called me to, the what, it doesn't matter how I do it. And that's not true at all. And it's part of Jesus' diagnosis for Martha here. How we do things is first and foremost an indication of the condition of our heart. Have you thought about that? How we do what we do is one of the things Jesus is trying to teach Martha that she's doing, which, by the way, takes us to this cup. Did you get a cup on your way in? If you didn't, slip up your hand and, and one of our hospitality pastors would love to, to, to hand you one. Did you get a little cup on the way in? Well, I brought a big cup so you can see it. Everybody has a cup. You are a cup. We all have a cup. And there are things in your life that replenish and fill your cup up. And and, and by the way, we should each know what those things are that fill us up. For some of us, it's time with, with our best friends. For some, it's time with family. For many of us, what replenishes our cup are hobbies. Uh, recreation That's really true in my life. I get unhealthy if I'm, if I'm not doing uh, 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 hobbies. That fills up my cup. For some of us, it's when we do a really good job at work. For some, at school or the athletic team, that really replenishes us. Um, we should know the people and things in our life that really fill us up to the top of our cup. But the way life works is, no matter who you are, there are also moments when things deteriorate deplete us. Things are regularly required from you and me, and you have to pour out a bit. You just do. Now, sometimes these are great things, like hosting a birthday party, a surprise party for a friend, or a birthday party for your child. Sometimes they're great things like a peak moment at work, but you're really pouring out like when I preach every Sunday. It, it, It depletes me, but it's my favorite thing that I do. Now, some of the things that deplete us that are pouring out are not um, exciting at all. Some of them you signed up for, some of them you didn't and you just have to do it. Uh, some of the things that deplete us might be a family member, might be a boss <laughs> that depletes you. I don't know how this works in your life, but, but there are moments, there are days, there are weeks, whole seasons of life when it feels like all you've done is pour out to all these people and tasks. And some of us, this is what our life feels like these days, like right now. For some of us, reality is is just this. Like, my cup's just empty, man. Does that seem familiar? Can you relate to that experience in your life? And so I have a question. It's a question that we know the answer for Martha. We know her cup was empty. That's why she reacted this way. But how about you and me? How empty or full is your cup right now, today? If I had to ask you to quantify it, like, right now, and I put you on the spot, like, don't just, like, mail it in. In your head, pick it. How empty uh, or full is your cup? Um, Would you hold your cup that we handed you intentionally now? Uh, Just hold it. And and, and I want us to reflect for a few minutes on a couple of questions. Um, Like, uh, not just how empty or full is it, but especially, like, how do I know when my cup is getting empty? Like, what are the telltale signs that you're toward the bottom of pouring out? Like, for some, it would be overeating. For some, the telltale sign that we're getting depleted is overwork or overdrink. For some of us, the sign that we're getting depleted is we're turning resentful. That's one of the things that is a sign of me getting depleted or, or, or withdrawn from others. How do you know when you're getting filled, also? And what are the telltale signs of that and so I ask you the question what is it that depletes and what is it that replenishes you and in fact, would you, I, I want us to really think about this Like this is about where our lives intersect With running on empty With Jesus offering what he was offering that day Would you just take a second And, and, and I'm going to ask you to stand And with one or two people nearby Just like you can just do top of the line surface Or you can go right down here And do like, what's something that replenishes you What's something that depletes you And how do you know when you're getting depleted Would you just take a risk and talk about that for a second With one or two people nearby Please stand up just talk Ten more seconds and then finish that up and have a seat. But ten or fifteen more seconds. And then finish up and have a seat, please. All right, if you guys would have a seat, please. Now here's something I want you to do. Again, you don't have to. If you're new here... I can sometimes sound bossier than I actually am, so you don't have to. Um, uh, here's what I'd like you to do. Keep that conversation going, because that's what prayer is, with the Lord. Would you just like close your eyes for a second? And now, like it's just you and the Lord, and he knows you. So would you take it to another level? And here's the way that I talk to God. I, I just start with him at the front, and I go, Jesus, and just tell him, here's what replenishes me, here's what depletes me and Jesus help me to describe how I know the signs of when I'm getting depleted talk with him about that for just a few quiet moments here your spirit and his spirit why don't you hang up the conversation with him and just say amen to him. The Bible uses the metaphor of thirst for spiritual longing. Think of a time you were really, really thirsty. Maybe a long hike without a water bottle. I I got dangerously dehydrated hiking the Grand Canyon when I was 23. I was trying so carefully to preserve my water that I didn't consume it. And a park ranger actually... Noticed the signs and, and rescued me I don't know what would have happened But think of a time when you're, you're dehydrated or, or maybe yesterday for uh, St. Patrick's Day you had a Guinness or two and, and then you didn't follow it up With any water and maybe this morning All you've had is coffee Feeling a little syrupy in there And you're wishing there was something here In, in your little water cup um, There's only one thing That quenches our thirst is water, it's one thing Different forms. Sorry, I get to have water in mine. Um, Martha, Martha, Jesus said, verse 42, you are worried and bothered about many things that have been emptying your cup, but only one thing is necessary. You know that one thing was? It's what Mary was doing. And you might read the story and you're like, well, Jesus, what's the one thing? It's what Mary was doing. Hybels calls it an exchange of love between Mary and Jesus. And I like that. Because it's a personal interaction that's happening. There are others in the room as well. But she, along with the other disciples, is soaking up and enjoying the presence of Jesus. And it's filling her cup. And I would suggest Jesus is doing the same with Mary. He's enjoying being with her and the other disciples. And there's a connection back and forth between each of them. And that is what, that's the one thing, That will most reliably heal and replenish From some of the stuff we just named That's what will calm the irritability I saw a dad in REI yesterday Jerk his son out of the store The son wasn't pitching a fit The dad was This is what will heal the irritability That's what will heal the insecurity That rages and causes us to say things we, We wish we didn't This one thing is what will give perspective To the perfectionist This one thing is what will focus the scattered on meaningful things. It's what will pour into the empty feeling we have when we're depleted. And life depletes you, life depletes me. It's not if. It's when and how frequently, pretty much daily, it depletes me. And Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you're missing this one thing. And these are Jesus' words, the one thing thing. And there are a lot of things in our life that do replenish our soul. And it's really important to do those things. For some, it's working out. But there's the one thing Jesus says is absolutely necessary, and it's his gift to us, and that is flat out the presence of God in our life. And I know, I just went from really practical to like, Mike, that sounds out there and metaphysical. I know. But Jesus, the master of life, says it's the one necessary thing that will replenish you. So where do we start? With that as the one thing, the presence of God. Well, A.W. Tozer was a a Chicago pastor and thinker and writer in the 20th century. He greatly influenced me when I was in college. I read everything by him. And he said, the most important thing uh, about you is what you think when you think about God. So let's start there. Who and what is God to you? Is he scary? Is God aloof? Is God too busy? Do you take God for granted? that's what I'm guilty of in my distractions I take God's presence and God's gifts of greater things for granted and I'm distracted by the lesser trivial trifling things do you know who God is God is the all-sufficient one he doesn't need any of us but he enjoys each of us he is all wise and all powerful and God is good I'm telling you God is good God is merciful, God is generous, God is trustworthy. Every person in your life will fail you in large or small ways. God will never fail you. God is self-sacrificing for you and I through coming as his son, Jesus. We can experience the presence of God. And some of you, this is your moment. The moment to receive forgiveness, the presence of God into your life through Jesus. Receive the second chance, a life of purpose. Receive what Jesus is offering you, the one thing. And you say, Jesus, I want to receive what you're offering into my emptiness, the, the one thing necessary. I still have questions, Jesus, but I want to walk together with you on this. And you just put your faith in him. Ask for his forgiveness. Ask him to fill your cup with his Holy Spirit. Um, honestly, I'd like to I'm not bossing you around But I'd love it if you took your cup home Like all of us Lake Forest people And put it beside your bed and, 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 and tomorrow morning After a night's sleep And your body is depleted of water That's the most depleted moment When you wake up and your mouth is all sticky Feel like you got little tiny sweaters On each of your teeth like, all right. and if, Take that cup Put it, put it empty beside your bed before you go to bed. Or, or go ahead and fill it up. But take that cup, fill it with water, remembering Jesus saying one thing is necessary. And notice how your body will kind of lean in as the water's going into it. Ah. And you feel it spreading out as you take sip after sip. I would love for you to do that every morning this week as a physical, I need physical ways to embody my relationship with Jesus and as your way of saying, I come to you, Jesus, as my one thing. While you're thinking about that, listen to this word of God. Oh God, you are my God. I shall seek you earnestly. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Walking around Target yesterday, people looked tired. I saw... So many faces expressing an emptiness of their cup. And God's word said, as the deer pants for water, so my soul pants for you, O God. In Jeremiah 31, the eternal one says, I will satisfy those who are, those who are weary and have thirst. And in John chapter 7, at a strategic moment, Jesus said, verse 37, let anyone who's thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. You'll be replenished, He promised. That's His promise. His promise. He will replenish you with rivers of living water. That's the only thing that will quench the thirst of your soul and mine and this world's, this distracted culture. Because every day of my life and yours, we need Him. Because there are things every day that will empty our cup. And that's what Martha needed in her distraction it, 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 it's exactly why, as one author says, the wheels came off of her attitude. <laughs> she had an empty cup. That's why the wheels fall off of my attitude sometimes. I forget that the meal I'm preparing is as important as the person I'm preparing it for. I forget that the point I'm making isn't nearly as important as the person I'm trying to make it to. I forget all this and things fall apart. But Mary, Mary moved in close and sat at the feet of Jesus. How do we do this? She sat at the feet of Jesus. She was his disciple. This is important to know. The language of sitting at the feet of a rabbi in the first century was the language for a life student of a rabbi, a technical term for a true disciple. This was no schoolgirl crush that Mary had on Jesus. You need to know that. It was an eager apprenticeship, kind of formally, but through personal presence. This is strong boundary-breaking language by Luke, the writer. It, because later in the book of Acts, the apostle Paul says this exact same as a technical phrase. Paul says, I sat at the feet of, and then he names a famous rabbi. This is code word, it's technical phrase for, I'm a disciple. And Mary was acting like she was a disciple of Jesus, like she had a right to be there. The scholar N.T. Wright suggests this may be a major reason why Martha was so upset with Mary. Martha's back in there with all the women folk Doing what women folk in New Testament times Are supposed to do And Mary's out there with all the men Sitting at the feet of Jesus Who does she think she is? I'll tell you who she is A disciple of Jesus And Jesus said she's right where she should be Even though in the first century It was unknown and not allowed For a female to actually sit at the feet And technically be a disciple He says she's done what's right And it will not be taken from her this is revolutionary for gender equality right here in Luke chapter 10 it's beautiful okay but you and me how do we sit at the feet of Jesus well we take the first sip by by putting our faith in Jesus and tasting forgiveness and new life it starts there if you haven't done that before but on a regular basis how do I sit at the feet of Jesus many ways to do so. In fact, I charge those of you who are a community group leader or a men's and women's group leader or you're a remix small group leader, I'd like for at your next gathering to say, hey, you know that that sermon that Mike said last week that was so boring? Um, But what are ways that you have found to sit at the feet of Jesus and and experience him replenishing you? Would you have that discussion, leaders? I'm, I'm asking you to do that and share ideas with one another. But I wanna suggest for us today just something very tangible, because this can seem intangible i'm going to ask that we emulate mary the disciple and for the next month spend 10 minutes a day sitting at the feet of jesus that's actually the first century definition of a disciple sit at the feet of jesus just 10 minutes a day i know for you super spiritual types you're like just 10 minutes a day i do two hours <laughs> that's nothing good for you that's awesome uh 10 minutes a day and in fact um, and, and two things two things. it's this simple first get into the word of God read the bible that's God speaking to you and you're like where do I start well you might already have a resource and you restart with that one or one of our past soap journals but here's a simple restart this is a bible hack if, if you get lost read the book of Proverbs it has 31 chapters one chapter a day Proverbs is easy. You don't need any historical context. You don't need to research the meanings of the words. It, you know, it's chock full of God's wisdom and pithy bites. And I almost guarantee you there will be times uh, in the next month, if you do this, 10 minutes a day, uh, there will be times when you will laugh out loud when you read something. It's so brutally practical. You'll be like, oh, that describes my mother perfectly. Now I get it. You know? Or you'll be like, man, I can use that in the meeting later today. Just read one chapter a day and, and maybe sip it out of your cup while you do it. To bodily say, Jesus, I'm coming to you as my one thing to replenish me. Second, pray. Deuteronomy 4.7 says, when we pray, Lord, you are near us. Pray in a conversational t- tone. You don't have to get all thee and thou and, 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 and change your tone and stuff. Uh, put on a suit. Just talk with him in an exchange of love like Mary about everyday life. God, that verse I just read, I'm going to need that at school today. Would you help me to remember it? Help me to remember that in a staff meeting, Lord, when I'm tempted to get defensive because I'm depleted. Thank you for filling me up with your word. And lastly, two words from the Urban Dictionary that could change your prayer life forever. Here they are. Issue obfuscation. Got it? It's not a disease. It simply means... Avoid gobbledygook when you're talking to Jesus. Keep it simple. Invite him into the life that you're actually living and experience the difference the focusing presence of Jesus makes to fill you up. What would happen to your heart? What would happen to your margin, to your patience, to your energy, to your love quotient to others if like Mary, you were a person who ruthlessly pursued the love of God through Jesus by sitting at his feet 10 minutes a day for the next 30 minutes. Days, and know in your gut what it's like to be loved by the God who calls you by your name and to love him back. Christian, hold on to your cup daily. Run to the God who's waiting to lean into you as you flee distractions and slow down just enough to hear his living word to you through the Bible and speak back to him about your life 10 minutes a day because life is hard and it's challenging like there's wonderful challenges in life and there's excruciating ones and it drains us and so lean into him sit at his feet would you stand without taking your keys out and we're going to respond in worship as I pray would you stand for a moment heavenly father we love you we praise you we thank you that you come to give us the very thing we lack that in a life that depletes us every day, just like we saw with Martha, we all have our own manifestation of it, just like she did, no matter what it is we do. And so, Jesus, we want to run to you 10 minutes a day for the next 40 days. I'm sorry, 30 months. Because we love you, and we want your living water to both satisfy us and then flow out of us as a blessing to others, as a healing presence in this broken world. So use this not just for our good and contentment, but for your glory and the good of everyone around us. In Jesus' name, we pray and we now worship you in response. go for those of you who weren't he-men crushing your cups i heard a lot of that by accident because you're so beefy you might even put your uh, easter invite in your cup i hope you'll take that with you and maybe even have it with your cup and in your 10 minutes pray for you one more person to discover Jesus' as living water uh, if you need prayer the prayer room is out the door and to the right people would love to pray with you now hear this good word luke 10 42 as we go Mike, Mike, would you say your name out loud twice? This week, reject being anxious and troubled about many things. Run to the one thing necessary. Choose with Mary to sit at the feet of Jesus daily, and it will never be taken away. May you live as a filled-up person, overflowing to others this week. Go in peace. Amen.